Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. We did it. We survived E3 somehow. Well done, Nadia. What were you doing for E3? Um, I was actually talking a lot on the Discord uh, for Blood God and mm. uh, basically just kind of uh, trolling on Twitter. It was... It's funny, I didn't do a lot of work, but I still felt very worn out by the end of it all. All that hype. All the hype. Although I did edit our last podcast kind of uh, as quickly as possible, and that was a a bit of a a chore. Yeah, thank you for crunching through that. I appreciate it. I actually shouldn't use the word crunch. Oh my god. Jason (laughs) Schreier's coming for us. With an axe. (laughs) Of the blood god. No, it's fine. I mean, uh, that's what E3 is all about. That really weird schedule for that one week where time does not exist and like linearity is merely a suggestion. But we got through it. And uh, here's to next year, I suppose. Here's to next year. Well, Nadia, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about in this episode. We will talk about everything that was announced during the Nintendo Direct and how that went. There were some RPG-related headlines right there. And we will also be continuing our console RPG quest. This week is the Nintendo Switch. And I believe this is our grand finale for the console RPG quest, Nadia. I think that really is it, at least until the PlayStation and the Xbox Series X start ponying up some stuff. Until they grow up and become (laughs) big, full-grown adult consoles rather than the little babbies that they are right now. The PlayStation 5 is big enough. I really don't need it taking up more room in my house. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, don't let it get it any bigger. It's already <laughs> too big. All right. Before we continue on, a little bit of housekeeping. Acts of the Blood God is an independent RPG podcast, as I already mentioned. I'm feeling a little loopy right now. Anyway, if you enjoy it, you should go and give us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. We really appreciate it. it brightens our day. Follow me on Twitter. The underscore catbot, Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, and the podcast is at Blood God Pod. We have a Patreon, Nadia, patreon.com slash Blood God Pod, and we're doing something really fun for the community right now. Everybody at the $10 level and up can nominate a game to be in our next Pantheon discussion for next month. We have a whole bunch of nominations. I think uh, Mass Effect 2 is in there right now. 13 Sentinels was getting a bunch of uh, nominations for some reason. (laughs) Hell yes. I love that game. I I want that to win. So you should go in and throw in with the RPG of your choice. And it may be the next RPG that gets discussed. We also recently posted our Two Towers Summer of the Rings podcast. That's available for our $5 patrons and up. And that was a great episode, Nadia. That was. I'm looking forward to uh, Return of the King. And I, uh, I, I, it's surprising how much I'm enjoying these these uh, deep dives into the uh, Lord of the Rings movies, even though I haven't really read the books. Uh, it gives me an, another perspective on Tolkien, especially since you have read the books, and you can kind of educate me on what was there and what wasn't. Like, holy crap, there weren't actually elves at Helm's Deep. <laughs> they just arrived. Well, as somebody who was in the fan trenches during the great Lord of the Rings debates in the early 2000s, I can recount all of my experiences on this podcast. One of the funniest things is like my family doctor we've had for many, many years since practically I was born, and he's very religious, very conservative. He is a major, major Tolkien nerd. Like he just knows everything about the series. And he actually paid to see the awful stage production of uh, Lord of the Rings. 
Wow, that's amazing. That is pretty funny. You never really know who's going to be a, a Tolkien nerd, I guess. Well, we talked about the most important thing, which was they're taking the hobbits to Isengard. <laughs> I was just thinking not only of that, but also the bit where uh, Aragorn says, what do your elf eyes see? And that was a meme for a while because somebody actually did a response where they used Photoshop to dilate Legolas's eyes to like enormous proportions. And he's like, okay, so what do your elf eyes see? Everything. <laughs> well... We talk about all of that and more on our Two Towers podcast for Pantheon of the Blood God. Okay, Nadia, before we get to the news, it's time to talk about the sacrifice that you are making at the altar of the Blood God. Which RPG do you bring to the Blood God this week? Well, my husband and I, uh, we stream on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. at uh, twitch.tv network. That's N-Y-T-E-W-O-R-K-S. And we uh, actually streamed... Uh, God, I can never remember the stupid game's name. Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origins. I think that's it. Is it Stranger of Paradise or Stranger in Paradise? No, it's of Paradise. And the reason I know that is because in Paradise would make sense. And that is not Square Enix's style to make sense. So, yes, we have Stranger of Paradise. Uh, and I was surprised how much I did not hate it. I mm. actually kind of had fun with it. People who have played it have said that it's extremely similar to Nioh 2, which I have not played Nioh 2, so I can't make the comparison. But um, it does need work. Don't get me wrong here. I still think the graphics could stand to be a lot less ugly. Uh, the monster designs are interesting, though. Seeing like uh, goblins in that style and bombs in that style was, was kind of neat. But the backgrounds are very muddy. I got lost very easily because, I, as far as I know, there's no on-screen map. And... Yeah, the there is a lot of jank. There are a lot of instances where I kind of dropped frames or it stuttered. And so that's really something Square Enix needs to work on. But I found it kind of fun to just counter enemy attacks and fling their own magic back at them and changing jobs on the fly. Like I started as a fighter and I became a warrior. I became, I could, uh, I became a lancer, then I became a dragoon, of course. And uh, yeah, I uh, each class lets you attack an enemy's weakness like for example as you'd imagine the dragoon's uh, spear throw can really take down flying enemies the warrior is just a chonky boy who has a huge huge sword i actually finished the demo i beat chaos and then it said thank you for playing and it gave me a survey and i did the survey you found chaos and you beat him i beat chaos in the face like there's a cutscene where he just picks up chaos and starts smashing his <laughs> knuckles into chaos's face and they're like whoa there's a dude under that armor like no kidding there's a dude under that armor mm. it's not like is is not animated by fairy magic what's your problem and this is supposed to be a prequel to the original final fantasy i don't know what the hell it's supposed to be but it's certainly something well my main takeaway from stranger of paradise is that it looks like a ps3 game on a ps5 it kind of does yeah and i do agree with the people who are saying that it, it really is kind of a shame that we didn't get say something more amano styled for this game but at the same time i'm not really surprised i i see what square Enix is going for and it's, it's You know what? I'm encouraged by the fact that they're sending out a survey, and I hope that they will listen to the survey the way that uh, the Octopath Traveler team and the Bravely Default team really adhered to their surveys and took that, that uh, criticism to heart, even though, from what I understand, some people were probably very, very unkind on the survey. Uh, YouTuber Kyle Bosman, was, uh, he, he said specifically, I was not kind on that survey. So we'll see what happens there. What's funny is that a lot of 
everybody was super down on Stranger of Paradise for just completely dunking on it during the actual stream. But when the demo came out, it, a lot of people turned around on it and it became kind of a meme, honestly. And now people are like, I like that Stranger of Paradise. It's great. I think we all kind of like it the way we just we, we all sort of root for a kid who's been bullied but keeps standing back up. That's That's how I feel. Like the main character, I don't know who he is. He's a meme now too. And everybody's like, and the second they become a meme, it's just inevitable that all of the opinion is going to turn around and everybody's going to like it. Uh, it's like that grunt. Uh, it's like the brute from um, <laughs> Craig. Halo yes. Infinite. Craig the brute. <laughs> yes, exactly. So this is, uh, this is the Craig this year. He, he's, he's totally this year's Craig. And one thing I have to give Square Enix credit for is, yes, they start off the game with these looks like real lame-ass uh, modern-day clothing, but very quickly you start gathering up um, loot and you start gathering up a lot of dropped weapons and a lot of dropped armor, and those all look quite good. Uh, I've noticed that the, of course, being myself, I've noticed that some of the weapons are based on the Final Fantasy XIV version of the weapons, like uh, that big-ass sword uh, that the main character has looks a lot like a certain sword from uh, the Dark Knight class in, in 14, and same with the Dragoon Spear, which looks a lot like the Geobolg from uh, Final Fantasy XIV. Yes, it's going to bear a superficial resemblance to Final Fantasy while somehow also looking nothing like a Final Fantasy game. A exactly. It's going to have that tribute to the Final Fantasy uh, uh, mythos walls, avoiding it too at the same time. So we'll see what happens. I think there is, as I said on Twitter, there is definitely a kernel of a good game here. And I think it really could turn into something kind of, if not special, then fun and stupid and interesting. And I, I, I'm rooting for it. I hope it does well. I hope it cleans itself up. It reminds me, the combat reminds me a little bit of Final Fantasy VII Remake meets Neo in terms of how it actually moves. Yeah, um, switching on the fly between classes is quite interesting. Like, I, at one point I had my dark, sorry, I had my warrior paired with a mage. So I would just press, I think it was the triangle button, I'd just switch immediately from one class to the other. And that became handy when, say, you had... Um, again, flying enemies that the Dragoon can take out or uh, really well-protected enemies that uh, magic. I still don't really get how the magic works in that game. Something about holding down the button and like that way fire becomes Fira and becomes Firaga. I didn't really get that, so I didn't really mess around with the mage too much. But yeah, the idea of changing jobs on the fly is very, very Final Fantasy. Well, Nadia, I checked out Tales of Arise. I got to play for a couple of hours on Ooh. the PC version. It was one of those remote connection type uh, dealios. And I did a video for it for IGN.com. I assure you that I was very excited about the game, despite sounding like I was half asleep. I was really tired. Leave me alone. (laughs) You need some caffeine, bro. Oh, God. And I also, uh, the script VO, like it's a different skill than podcasting. That's what I'll say. But yeah, Midwestern drawl uh betrayed me uh even though i'm kind of i always sound kind of half asleep i assure you i was very excited about tales of rise it looks great so it is a like you're not really into tales so would you say like you you had a pretty good time with it regardless yeah, it was all right. uh it was gorgeous it ran super well it was at 60 fps it really helps the 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 style and the feel of the battles um the the battles are basically on cocaine it's ridiculous how fast they actually go <laughs> so it's tales yeah i mean people are all like oh i mean i remember when tales of arise was announced people were kind of suggesting that it might be a little bit of a reboot and then it became clearer and clearer that no in fact it it's a it's another tales game it's just prettier 
And the main difference is that it's going to be on Unreal Engine 4 this time mm. around instead of the in-house engine. And I think it really helps the series uh, from an art style perspective. Maybe this is a little unfair. It just reminds me a lot of Genshin Impact, right? It uh, is moved away from kind of the 90s anime style to much more of a modern anime style, which I think will probably help its appeal in a lot of ways. And um, I mean, it's not an open world game, but there is a certain uh, exploration element as you're wandering through a field and monsters are popping up and you're finding them and everything. That sounds, I'm actually quite looking forward to Arise because I did very much enjoy what I played of Vesperia. So I am starting to get into Tales, I suppose. I do forget when Arise is supposed to come out, though. It is coming out in September. Okay, so I have a little time to hopefully maybe get back to Vesperia and uh, familiarize myself with more Tales games. And I'm sure we will have Eric Van Allen on the show at some point. He has been scratching at the door like a dog. Let me in, let me in. <laughs> Final Fantasy, sorry. Uh, Tales of Arise reminds me of Final Fantasy Twelve. I was going to like kind of spoil it. I was going to kind of set it up be like, do you know what Tales of Arise reminds me of? <laughs> the answer is Final Fantasy Twelve. I spoke too soon. <laughs> there, I blew it. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of the Gambit systems and the way that you can set up the commands of the different party members and say exactly what you want them to use mm. during battle and how much you want them to use it and everything. It's a, it's a slimmed down version. The commands aren't as complicated, but yeah. So basically a little bit like macros. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the actual combat, every single character kind of has their own perk. Playing as each character has its own kind of style. I would say that the two main characters are probably intent the ones you are supposed to be playing as because Shion is basically a gun mage who can heal. Cool. And Elfin has a big sword that's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we're in Tails territory. And the rest of them are kind of more support characters in many ways. Like Law is a uh, martial artist, and then you have a character who has a, a shield maiden, as it were. Mm -hmm. who can kind of tank and like she's okay to play with but i sort of get the impression that really you should be just playing with the other characters yeah i kind of get that impression with a lot of tales games like uh with vesperia i always played as i can't remember the main character's name but i always played as either him or rapide because rapide the dog was just absolutely awesome and i'm kind of sad there seems to be no dog this time around and the demo ends with you fighting a giant mantis the the monsters in this game are a little bit generic but whatever mm. And it takes a little while for you to take them out. And you can't just go in and butt mash because it will kind of kick your butt. So I do like that there's a certain amount of strategy. And then all of the other usual tail stuff is in there as well, including cooking and also the little skits. So definitely a Tales game, but much prettier. And it's going to be on next-gen consoles. I think it's going to be an early example of a good next-gen JRPG. I'm definitely looking forward to it. So uh, here's to fall, I suppose. Indeed. All right, Nadia, let's get to the news. Last week, we had a Nintendo Direct. Very exciting. Always great to see an E3 Nintendo Direct. It, the big news, of course, was that we finally got new Breath of the Wild 2 footage. Blah, blah, blah. Breath of the Wild, RPG, whatever. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Adjacent. So basically, kind of looks like... Okay, so this is what I thought was interesting about Breath of the Wild 2. In the initial trailer that we saw, we see them in caves, and there's a lot mm -hmm. of speculation about it being kind of like a, a dark world or something mm -hmm. like that, right? Almost like a Majora's Mask of Breath of the Wild 2. There's some speculation that it might be a co-op game because Zelda seems to be involved somehow. Now Link is in the sky? Yeah, it is. A it, I am surprised by how much those two trailers have contrasted because not only is Link in the sky, like, 
it's a very kind of skyward sword looking thing where he's just falling through the clouds. But at the same time, at the at very end of the trailer, you see, I'm assuming it's Hyrule Castle. It's all dark and like kind of wreathed in shadow. And it's when we first saw the first trailer, we saw the castle start to lift and now it has lifted some more. So what is going on with Hyrule Castle? Zelda, we see, falls into a crevasse. And I think the theory is that maybe we'll play as Zelda as she's in this dark underworld and Link is doing whatever business he has in the sky. But we still see Link on the ground, like fighting new kinds of enemies like the Talos with the Bacoblin village on top of it. I thought that was really, really cool. And the interesting thing I noticed about Link when he's in the sky, we see him, he's wearing something that looks almost like kind of Greek inspired. And that could be like just a new kind of armor. I don't know, but it could be something to do with the world he is in. And his hair is longer, like it looks unbound and loose. And I'm wondering what is going on. There is some weird stuff going on with this game. Yeah, I really like the new Link costume. It looks really good. Uh, he definitely looks a bit more ragged in this version, doesn't he? He indeed looks a little more rugged, I would say. And I, I'm i really hoping that since Zelda disappears down that hole, that's not the last we're going to hear from her. I really do hope that, yes, this is a game where you split the gameplay between Zelda and Link and bring, what obviously, again, some shenanigans and bring peace back to Hyrule together in that, manner i was always kind of excited by the idea of link and zelda working together after skyward sword i don't know i would assume that maybe they're a couple now maybe they're not but i just like the fact that they're working together link and zelda working together they're a team <laughs> okay i gotta think of a good theme song da, 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 da. perfect wait that's final fantasy that is <laughs> da, 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 da. there you there go. We go that's better <laughs> I wouldn't expect uh, Breath of the Wild 2 to be out until late 2022, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, they we definitely did get a 2022 release date, and I'm thinking it's going to be a holiday game. Maybe, maybe summer if we're lucky, but holiday seems to be more likely. And hey, maybe that's when the Switch Pro will finally come out. <laughs> when they announced uh, Skyward Sword HD and A.G. Aonuma was like, hey, there are some elements of Breath of the Wild that also appeared in Skyward Sword. Initially, it seemed like Aonuma was going, come on, it's a little like Breath of the Wild. Please play this game. <laughs> but now I'm almost like, are they pointing that out because actually they are borrowing from Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild too? That to me is very possible. And I will say when I was with Wii U.S. Gamer, I did write kind of a defense of Skyward Sword saying that Yes, Nintendo seemingly took some of the best elements of Skyward Sword and put them into Breath of the Wild. One of the things being, I, I really like the bright art style. I think they took that from uh, Skyward Sword. And just Link has a lot of character in Skyward Sword. He does a lot of pantomiming that gives him a lot of like uh, a lot of emotion. And they carried that through into Breath of the Wild. And one thing I think Breath of the Wild is one thing that skyward sword does not get enough credit for is it has a lot of really creative races like you on hyrule you have a lot of uh like the magu who are like these mole people and just a whole lot of fun races living on the surface and um i i hope we do kind of see more of something like that more of that fun design in breath of the wild too i kind of want to replay breath of the wild one but a i don't have nearly enough time because i have so many other games i haven't played that i mm. need to actually finish and b I just don't want to go through all of that again. I uh, I don't want to go through those four dungeons again. I didn't actually enjoy them that much. We still don't know what the plan is for dungeons and shrines this time around in Breath of the mm. Wild 2. So I'm very... Because I'm sure they've heard the feedback on how, yes, those dungeons 
weren't exactly Zelda's best. The overworld was just fantastic, and that's great. It's still my favorite overworld. I, every time I boot up the game, just for whatever reason, I, I get caught for like at least half an hour just riding my horse. I think a lot of people will be paying attention to two things. Will weapon degradation be back? Mm, oh God! Let's start that, that discourse all that over discourse again. That discourse has already started. It's all over Twitter. I can't stand it. I want to put my head through a wall. Weapon degradation was good. Take that, Mike Williams. Mike Williams is so salty. I loved Mike. He's so salty about weapon degradation. I do agree with him that I wouldn't mind a way to fix legendary weapons. That's fine, but... I liked the weapon degradation and I started out not liking it at all, but it really taught me how to work around with the environment and how to do things like really brave those, those Hinoxes that had those, those necklaces of weapons. So that it made it worth it taking those risks. And I think that was actually a really well-balanced gameplay feature. We love you, Mike. Just kidding. <laughs> we do very much. We do love you. Unfortunately, I don't remember the other thing that people will be paying close <laughs> attention to Nadia. So I guess I'm getting old. Uh, I think the main takeaway is that people will be paying very close attention to Breath of the Wild 2, period. I'm sure at the time of this recording, there's already 10 million analyses online about just breaking down every single pixel of every single video. So you're covered. Don't worry. It was a short trailer, but it felt really good to get at least something, right? Mm -hmm. It does look like it's coming along very well, and it does look like it's kind of a very epic scale. And that's why we're going to probably have to wait just a little bit longer. Switch Pro will be undoubtedly out by then, too, so that'll be something to look forward to. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to any kind of news on the Switch Pro at this point. Yeah, too. All right, other things that were announced during the Nintendo Direct. Shin Megami Tensei Five is coming out November 11th, Nadia. And you said it looks great. No more random battles, RIP little enemy detection logo. It looks like you're running around in kind of a big post-apocalyptic world. The character has magnificent hair. <laughs> I think that there. this is the reason why we got Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne, because I think 5 is going to echo that mostly. It has kind of the same look, the post-apocalyptic Tokyo or whatever city we're in. The Demi-Fiend, yes, has just magnificent hair, not naked this time the way, you know, because the original Demi-Fiend was based on. <laughs> with or the Capri's? Capri shorts? Capri, that's right. The 90s are back, baby, or whenever Capri shorts were in. It's really distracting to me that he's just running around shirtless all the time with those green t- tattoos. He's supposed to be based on Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, so I think that's the reason why. What? You didn't know that? Yeah, isn't that cool? Because... I guess the chili peppers because they're always naked yeah, on stage. Yeah, that's cool, all right. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a word that I'd use to describe it. Well, it's very, very um, memorable. You can't argue that. SMT5, yeah, I agree. It looks a lot like SMT3 Nocturne, which I'll say this much about Nocturne. Um, there's a lot to dig into about that game, but I do kind of like how hmm, it, it's definitely different from every other RPG out there in terms of the look and the feel of the world, there's a real creepiness to it. Um, the demons have a have these personalities to it. Um, I feel like I'm just constantly in this fever dream of an RPG. So if SMT5 captures that, but is prettier, uh, I think it'll go over really well. I think SMT3 Nocturne does have a very specific environmental feel to it. Yeah, it has. It's very interesting in that it feels... The, the apocalypse happened in an eye blink, but it feels like it's been the world's been dead forever. It, it's very interesting that way. 
And I think SMT5 might be going to emulate that new apocalypse that still feels worn out. I think that's uh, that's going to be really, uh, really interesting. Plus, as I mentioned, yes, it looks like random battles are gone. We used to have those like little icons. Like I- I'm actually specifically thinking of Shin Megami Tensei uh, Strange Journey Redux. It had a little dancing demon icon in the in the top of the screen, and he'd get like more frantic as enemies got closer. Uh, and Shin Megami Tensei Three Doctrine has more of a, a kind of a gauge that gets uh, red as enemies approach. And I guess both are gone now because now you can see enemies on the screen and avoid them as necessary. That was pretty much all of the RPGs. There weren't really any other RPGs that were shown, right, Nadia? No, it was a little bit of a slim uh, E3 for RPGs. We did, of course, get confirmation that Starfield I mean, is in Outside of works. that little game called Elden Ring, sure. Uh, that's okay, right, yeah, we got that. We also got confirmation that Starfield is coming, just not stuff so much that's going to be like, well, I guess I guess we will get be getting some it's stuff pretty year. soon. next year. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's it's a moderate it's a, a moderate amount of RPG news, but Nintendo didn't really have too much to deliver on that front. But it did have a new 2D Metroid game. That just blew my mind, and then the fact that they called it Dread, that blew my mind twice. Like of all the E three things I was not expecting, that was just on the top of my list. I knew we'd hear something about Metroid four. Sorry, Metroid Prime four, and we did, in that it's still in development. Screw you, you're gonna have to wait a little bit longer. But at least we heard something, unlike Bayonetta three. <laughs> God, that poor game. Do you want a barely disguised remake of Metroid Fusion, but with slightly worse enemies than the SAX? We got a game for you. It's in 2.5D, and we're calling it Metroid Dread. I think it looks really cool. I think that the monster, that they're the monster, the way it moves, even though it looks kind of like a sterile thing that maybe the Galactic Federation would actually build. The way it moves is really interesting, and the fact that you can have different ways of dodging it, like you have a stealth suit, you, have, you can like stay still and avoid making noise, I think that's pretty cool. I like, I like stealth elements as long as you give me several ways to defend myself. To be clear, I'm going to play Metroid Dread, and I am going to enjoy it. Uh, I think so. I am just a little salty about the 2.5D look. I much prefer uh, the pixel look of Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission because, again, old. Well, I mean, Samus Returns was a actually a very, very good game. I feel a like game we, that I gave five stars at the time. Yeah, and that's two point five D. And in fact, I yeah. think Dread already looks a lot better. It looks a lot more colorful. And if mm. you pay attention to some of the background elements, they're really interesting. Yeah, at least some of them are. But uh, but also they can be a little bit drab, and they tend to lack detail. And Samus herself is definitely the most detailed element of the game, which is not surprising. But um, I think that, especially when you're exploring the random caves and everything, it can get a little monotonous in its design. Is that uh, Samus Returns or Dread? Dread. Oh, Both. yeah, absolutely. Both of them. Well, well, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I was thinking you were talking about Samus Returns. I think that Dread does look like, well, we haven't really seen a whole bunch of the game yet. They showed us that one area. So, But I did like how, for example, there's one scene where Samus enters a big area and there's monsters, like animals in the background, and they dart away as as she kind of moves closer to them. I thought that was a nice little touch. But really, it is just a Metroid Fusion sequel down to the fact that you're plugging into um, Adam Malkovich's CPU and talking to him again. Yeah, but I liked Fusion, so I'm I mean, I liked Fusion a lot. It was a great game that I can replay in my GBA. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Which, by the way, you should play Metroid Fusion. It's a great game that you can play in your GBA. And the Wii U. Yeah, that's right. You should play Fusion. You should play Zero Mission, which is really great. And uh, play Prime while you're at it, because Prime is still a fantastic uh, 3D adventure game. Speaking of Metroid Fusion, 
I am in the process of cleaning out my apartment at the moment. Uh, we're not moving or anything. We're just doing a big cleaning. And mm. I dug up all of my Wii U stuff and I'm preparing to sell it. Who's, uh, okay, I don't know what the nostalgia market is for Wii U just yet. I'm just wondering who's going to buy that. Somebody's just... going to buy it. Somebody will want this thing. And because I was thinking if I got, like, I'm never going to sell my Wii U collection. My husband's not really into selling our games. But if I had to get rid of my Wii U collection, I'd probably just take it down to our apartment's laundry room and leave everything on the table. The, the table of taking. <laughs> Please take. Give this, give this Wii U a good home. The thing is that I have a lot of good games for the Wii U. It's just all of those Wii U games happen to be on the Switch now. That's kind of the thing, isn't it? Um, we already did our Wii U console quest, and but barring, say, Xenoblade Chronicles X, there are, most of these games have moved over to the the Switch. And I will say the one thing that does disappoint me about this E3 is that I don't think we're going to get the Wii U HD ports of Wind Waker and Twilight Princess and People thought that we were, but it sounds like the Nintendo's pretty much done with the. Okay, we're done with Zelda, with Zelda nostalgia. Go away. We'll see you again in five more years. Any final thoughts on the Nintendo Direct? Was it everything that you hoped it would be, Nadia? I mean, nothing can ever be everything that I hope that it can be. But I would say they definitely had the most exciting show of the uh, of the show. And no way, mm-hmm. Xbox blew it out of the water. I don't know. I think Xbox is a second for me because just the fact that we had Metroid Dread, just like, wow, I was just not expecting that. Oh, and we didn't even mention the... <laughs> See, I don't play Smash anymore because I just get my, my butt pounded by 10-year-olds, but the uh, <laughs> the Kazuya reveal was pretty hilarious. Like, when he tries to throw Kirby off the cliff and Kirby just serenely floats away, I thought that was adorable. The reveal trailers, honestly, are the single best thing about Smash these days. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, I don't play the game, but I always, always look forward to the trailers and seeing who's coming and they're always great trailers. They're always funny. They're always fun. And I will miss them very much when they're gone. This reminds me that I want to go play as Sephiroth uh, some more in Smash Brothers. That was a great reveal. That was one of the, that was one for the ages. That and Joker are probably my two favorites. When Sephiroth totally uh, puts his sword through Mario. (laughs) He just kills Mario. And that's hilarious to me because Nintendo's so so locked down about Mario's image like you can't do this you can't you can't alter his eyebrows you can't do a thing and then they're like can we have Sephiroth stab Mario oh yeah that sounds good that's okay we're good good at that (laughs) all right and finally a little bit of news that is not E3 related Cyberpunk is almost back on PlayStation Store Nadia gets another big patch aimed at improving performance last I checked you could search for it but it's not able to be purchased yet but this has been quite the saga, quite the ridiculous saga. And uh, I mean, just how many sales did uh, CD Projekt lose uh, with Cyberpunk because of Sony taking it off their store? It's wild to me. I wonder what the game is going to look like on the PlayStation 4 now and what they have done to improve it. I just don't know if it, the PlayStation 4 can handle it in any reasonable capacity. Shouldn't have come out on PlayStation 4. I know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but this game is clearly a next-gen game. I've said it before, and I know talk is cheap. I'm here as an armchair quarterback or hockey referee, whatever you want to call me. And I just feel like CD Projekt Red should have killed, just killed PlayStation 4 and Xbox One versions of the game and said, sorry, uh, it's just got to come out on the new gen systems. Would have generated a lot of heat, would have generated a lot of bad will, but no, not the lingering bad will we have now. And I just don't feel like, 
even though the, the game's going back up on the PlayStation Store, I don't feel like it's going to be great. It's just it just can't be. Everybody's decided that they hate cyberpunk now. It's the fashionable thing to do, but <laughs> I think that when we do revisit it in a year with expansions and all the fixes, we'll go, hey, this is actually a pretty solid RPG. Funny. Once you can strip away all the hype and everything and all the expectations, you come away with a very good open world RPG. It's just pretty broken right now. I think a year from now, uh, where the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One versions of the game will be long forgotten probably no one will be playing those but people will have moved on to the playstation 5 and xbox series x versions they will have moved on to the pc versions which as you said will certainly have had if not expansions then like a lot of patches to fix it up and i think slowly but very very surely cyberpunk will build up some kind of uh goodwill and good reputation it'll never be witcher 3 level but it'll be something at least well it has a really active modding community the very least. I'm not surprised. I could yeah. see. I would say if you are a aspiring game developer and you want something to kind of put on your resume, go ahead and fix Cyberpunk. Go fix Cyberpunk. <laughs> You'll get a job anywhere. I remember when the last update came out, somebody did a YouTube video that was just like, so let's see how all of the traffic is doing in Cyberpunk. And then all they just show all of the cars just completely running into each other and <laughs> massive pile up. And they're like, yeah, guess it's not fixed yet. I think I saw that video. I think that was Vinny. And he is like, okay, let's see what's going on. And he goes to the, the traffic and the car start exploding. He's like, yeah, no, everything's about where, everything's right. Cyberpunk, left it. all right. <laughs> Just boom, random cars exploding. <laughs> Pieces of cars flying down the street at like sonic speed. It's pretty great. I don't envy anybody who had to review that game. No, no, I absolutely do not envy anybody who had to review that game ever. All right, Nadia, that's about it for the news. Do you have any final thoughts on E3 in general? I felt like it was a very, very strange E3, and I understand why it had to be because of uh, the pandemic and everything going on like that. Uh, Square's performance was so, so bad, and Capcom was not much better, but I can't get angry because they said right up front, here's what we're bringing. So I was actually wondering if maybe like E3 has just is just beyond what it what it really needs to be anymore, if we really need E3 anymore. But then I realized, you know what, this isn't a good year to judge because it's the pandemic. Everyone's just kind of uh, getting back on their feet a little bit now. Maybe next year is a good year to look at E3 and say, okay, have we moved beyond E3 or is it still something worth putting our time and energy into? Because that is a lot of time and energy that goes into E3. This isn't PAX, which is one weekend and everyone's good. This is a week and a half of just slogging and slogging and slogging about games. That's all. Everything was really, really spread out this year because you don't have Sony. I think Sony, Sony's loss is a major, major gap. It's just, it was, outside of Nintendo and Xbox, I wasn't ex- especially excited about anything. Slogging and slogging and slogging. E3 2021. That, that describes it, I think. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about how the pandemic really affects things, Nadia, because... I think that last year we were seeing a lot of the games that were already kind of in the can when the pandemic started. Mm. And now, as we were kind of expecting, we're totally seeing the knock-on effects of the pandemic and the impact on development and everything and the chaos that it created. I was talking to a developer uh, and I was just like, hey, are you back in the office yet? And they're like, nope, not bad, not till October. Yeah, yeah. And you and I, we've worked from home for so long that we really take uh, for granted how easily it was for us to make the switch to, so to speak, to uh, working from home. But for 
so many people that just was not the case. Uh, they had to work around their families. They had to work around bad internet connections. They had to work around that communication breakdown. So I, I understand. It's a miracle that we really got anything <laughs> with the pandemic going on. So many people dead. So many people sick. So many people scarred forever. Uh, video games are just so secondary, and I'm glad to, that we got what we got. And it's still it's still going on. I'm not saying we're in the clear right now. There's still a lot of stuff to worry about with the pandemic, but uh, we just got to do our best. Well, on that cheerful note, let's talk about the Nintendo Switch, Nadia. Yay! Okay, Nadia, it's time for the console RPG quest, the final console RPG quest, the segment in which we look back on a console and talk about the RPGs that made it. This week, we're talking about the Nintendo Switch, a console that's still going. Mm-hmm. It is still going. It is chugging along. It's really starting to show its age a bit because it's been, uh, gosh, I don't know how many years, I can't count, but it started in 2017, and it has since weathered the PlayStation 4 generation, and now we're on to PS5, and we're on to games that are really starting to take advantage of the the next gen hardware uh ratchet and clank is a really good example apparently i haven't played it yet myself but the switch is still chugging along and um we'll see what happens with the pro because i am just out of ideas at this point yes i remember when the switch came out because that was also when i became editor-in-chief of us gamer that's right. That was a big time of upheaval for all of us. Wow. I was that's right. And I had just started full time with US Gamer. So we uh we weathered the switch together. Yeah, it was a kind of a time of fire. It was an exciting period to be handed the reins of the website because it felt like a like it was a big deal, right? I mean, oh, so yeah. many amazing games came out that year between <laughs> Horizon Zero Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. That was a great time. I love that. And the, and the Switch, of course, and Breath of the Wild, and Nier Automata. It was just an exciting time. And Mario Odyssey, yeah. Yeah, I remember Mike was the one reviewing the Switch, and he had, because um, he was a hardware guy, and he had Breath of the Wild, of course, and I was just like always prodding him for, hey, hey, what's cool about Breath of the Wild? Tell me more about Breath of the Wild. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a fun time. And I actually went and waited in line again for the Switch because you had me chronicle my... Uh, my experience picking up the Switch at midnight, which is still on US Gamer. It's still a, a pretty fun story. You should go ahead and read it. I actually got to wait inside of a mall this time instead of out in the cold and the rain. And that was a nice Switch, so to speak. I, I just remember hiring Tom Ori to run guides. And then I was like, okay, we got a second Switch. We need to send <laughs> it to him in the mail, like basically overnight it to England for like $300 oh, immediately. I was- I was the one who did that. I vividly remember going to... I did something to, that I had to send to... No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I sent a game to Ori. And yeah, that cost a billion, billion dollars. And <laughs> it just overnighted to, to the to the UK. Yeah, and he came in early so that he could get started on Breath of the Wild guides. We were like, go, go, go. Yeah, that was a... God, that was a really frenzy time, wasn't it? And I, I had been on guides because we were really out any guys writers and I I had just started writing like editorial and stuff again so I was very happy about that. Well, let's talk a little bit about context, Nadia. So, if you'll remember our last console RPG quest, the Nintendo Wii U did not go very well for the for Nintendo. It was a bad generation. Maybe the worst console the side of the virtual console. 
And Nintendo was kind of ready to hit the reset button pretty, pretty quick. Just think about it this way, Nadia. The Switch now has lasted almost as long as the Wii U. And nobody's talking about replacing the Switch. We'll get a Switch Pro. But with the Wii U, Nintendo was like, uh, just get uh, move on, move on. <laughs> we need something new. I actually read that Nintendo started planning the Wii, the, sorry, the Switch very quickly after the Wii U because I'm sure it became apparent almost right away that this thing was not going to take off like the Wii was. It sure didn't. But there were rumors all through 2015 and 2016 about the NX, the super secret Nintendo platform that was going to be coming out. Finally gets announced as the Nintendo Switch. Go back on our podcast archives. You can find an episode titled, I believe, just Nintendo Switch! Exclamation <laughs> mark. <laughs> oh, that delivers what it promises. We were excited about it at the time, but uh, at the in hindsight, we now know that it was kind of a slam dunk. But at the time, we were going, is the Nintendo Switch going to work out? Yeah, but we had we definitely had better feelings about it than we did for the Wii U, I think, and. To this day, when I think of Imagine Dragon, I think of the Switch, God help me. Because the thing that Nintendo was very clear about from the start, from that first presentation that I vividly remember, is that this is what the Switch is, this is what it does. Hey, here it is in your TV. Hey, here it is in the park while this guy is walking his Great Dane. Uh, hey, look, here's Skyrim. So we have third-party support. Hey, hey, there you go. <laughs> I remember you went to the, Nint- the New York event where they showed it for the first time. I did. I was with uh, Parrish that day, and, and uh, they showed the second trailer for Breath of the Wild, like the really like final like hype trailer. And I walked out, and I said, "That is so effing cool! That looks so effing amazing!" I didn't say effing. I was swearing my head off, and Parrish just like shh, because I was being so loud. <laughs> but yes, I was at that event, and it's funny. I was just thinking about that event because um, that's where we first caught confirmation that SMT five is coming to the Switch. Finally, oh my god! Even... <laughs> yeah, we just and got a logo, though. We just got a logo, but at the time, I hadn't. I had finally gotten into SMT because I was playing Strange Journey Redux, and I was really interested in, in five coming to the Switch. They really did not show anything of SMT five because it. I don't think it had even started development at that point. I don't think it was anything but a gleam in uh, Atlas's eye. It was just basically very basic planning, pre-production probably at that point. Did they show Octopath Traveler during that event? Because they showed yes. Octopath quite early. They did. That was at the, They showed, like I remember vividly, a battle screen of Octopath. And I'm just like, oh, that looks kind of cool. I wonder what that is. And eventually the style did change quite a bit. But the general 2D HD was still in, being implemented. So... They showed that. They showed a, a basically a sizzle reel of a lot of games that were coming, and that was very smart, especially since it included, like I said, the hype trailer for Breath of the Wild and uh, the first beginnings of Odyssey. Well, with the Wii U, I mean, Wii U didn't have any games, arguably, until Mario Kart 8 came out. I remember that was the first time people got genuinely excited about a game mm. that was coming out on the Wii U. Uh, I mean, like, remasters of Wind Waker just didn't cut it. Sorry, Nintendo. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of agree there. Um, Nintendo made it very clear with that presentation and with future commercials and with just like other events. This thing has games. It'll have these games in the first year, like Wind Waker was, sorry, Wind Waker. Breath of the Wild was a launch title. Mario Odyssey, like they said quite early, this is coming in October. So yeah, that was probably the Switch's greatest strength at the time. It really came out of the gate with a huge explosion. 
And what's funny is if you go back on US Gamer, I have a galactically bad take about uh, the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, you said it looked terrible. Like you said it. No, like... no. I said that the system itself was fine. I said it was too expensive. Oh, right. Because I guess I could see where you were coming from then. But no, I think it was priced what it had to be priced. It launched at $299. And at the time, there was a lot of speculation that it would be $199. Because a lot of people were saying that it was going to be kind of a souped up handheld, right? Mm. And there was mm -hmm. a lot of talk about like, well, can the Switch compete against mobile games and that kind of thing? And I was kind of in the camp of like, I think if, if it's $299, that's too much. And right, I remember actually, now. it turned out to be perfectly fine. Like, I haven't even thought about the price since it launched. Yeah, um, I think that the launch lineup, if people were concerned about the price, then the launch lineup definitely justified it. I would also encourage anyone who has not done it yet to go back and look at the uh, parental controls video that Nintendo launched alongside the uh, that presentation. It has Bowser and Bowser Jr. It's very, very cute. I like it very much. It felt like a Hail Mary in some ways for Nintendo. Another one of those rise to heaven or sink to hell kind of moments because this was the moment where Nintendo was saying, okay, we've had this successful handheld business for years and years and years. We finally have to admit that the time is now to move on. We're combining our handheld and our regular console businesses. This is it. This is all we've got. We can't fall back on a GBA or a Nintendo DS at this point. Uh, and they were kind of all in, and it ended up working spectacularly. The Switch was a giant hit. I actually was reading a little bit of uh, about the development of the Switch, and you're absolutely right. It was another instance where Nintendo said, okay, we, we are backed into a corner. We either bring our best or we don't play at all. And it was proposed, well, um, we want to bridge the gap between East and West a bit because whereas Western players kind of prefer playing alone at home, uh, Japanese players love to go out in groups and gather with their friends and play together as we see with Monster Hunter and the PSP. So Nintendo said, well, how can we combine that? So they actually did a really brilliant thing by making this dockable portable that played uh if not the, the the fanciest most hardcore games ever definitely had a really fantastic library full of games that you could share with your friends and have a great time with and uh the way i hear it actually is one two switch which was kind of a bomb here uh, was was very big in japan <laughs> i remember one two switch that was going to be their kind of uh wii sports as it were they really, really wanted people to get into 1-2-Switch, and I remember demoing it at that event, and somehow I got caught on a camera for a really big site. It might have been Polygon. It might have been someone's video. I don't know, but point is, someone's like, uh, I was playing with some big shot, and someone responded to the video saying, like, why are you playing with someone's grandma? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, come over here so I can hit you. Why are you playing with somebody's grandma, bro? Yeah, like, I don't think I like that. What are you talking about, you moron? Cha. 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 So that's that's one to switch for you. And it had it had to be that really awkward milking game, of course, because of course it did. Of course it was. Oh, God, I forgot about that game. <laughs> so, yeah, one to switch. Uh, it's kind of cute, and I'm glad it got a traction in Japan, but uh, I don't think I ever played it beyond that demo. The Nintendo Switch launched in March 2017, right around GDC. I remember everybody bringing their Switch review units to the actual event. We're carrying them around with Breath of the Wild. I was like, hey, Show I want to check this out. This looks dope. And my Switch came in the mail 
I was very excited. I remember settling into bed for the first time to play Breath of the Wild. And I was like, yep, this is it. This clicked with me like just instantly, right? I was mm-hmm. like, I, this is a great console. I'm already all in on the Nintendo Switch. It's funny. When I got my Switch and I played Breath of the Wild, I did not play in handheld for a very long time. I stuck to the TV. And to this day, I could not tell you why. I just, I guess maybe I was intimidated by the thought of, maybe I thought, okay, this game is huge. This game is epic and sprawling. I just don't think I can confine it to a screen that's small. And But eventually I, I made the change. Yeah, the screen ended up being great. And I think it's some of Nintendo's best hardware. So Nintendo Mm -hmm. doesn't have a great history with hardware over the past 20 years. Okay, so people have all of the nostalgia in the world for the 64 and the GameCube and the Wii. But if you look back at each one of those, I mean, they all had kind of some major drawback for the most part in terms of actual hardware. I think the GameCube was probably pretty solid ultimately, but it lacked it lacked online play. It felt like a lesser PS2 or Xbox at the time. Sorry, everybody who stands for the GameCube, but it's true. The Wii was pretty bad. The Switch was just where it all kind of came together, like as a concept. It felt great to play. It didn't have. It, I would say its ma- biggest deficiency was Joy-Con drift, which yeah continues to be a problem uh, to this day, but taking away the the kind of the hard that particular hardware fault it's just a pleasure to play video games on this thing i agree and actually another thing that developers wanted to keep in mind while they were making this this unit is they were actually thinking back to the game boy and gunpei yokoi and how they wanted that diverse unique hardware using lower cost parts so that they could keep it kind of cheap and it worked really, really well in this case. Uh, again, the Switch is not extremely powerful next to the uh, the PlayStation and the Xbox. And it actually takes a lot of care and specific know-how to port a game to the Switch and make it run well and make it worth playing. And there are you can always tell when a developer puts that effort in. Well, something like Dragon Quest XI-S was built ground up for the Switch, and it's an excellent game because of it. Whereas a lazy port is, you're going to know right away, okay, this is a lazy port. But the point is, the Switch has kind of its own identity, its own library, and that's really the best place Nintendo can be at any point. Another galactically bad take that I had about the Nintendo Switch was that I was like, I don't know about Breath of the Wild. (laughs) I don't know about this new uh, open world, open-ended style. (laughs) I feel put off by this. This, this newfangled Zelda, which is actually quite a tribute it, to the old Zelda. It looks Zelda. different. I hate it. <laughs> I don't like change. <laughs> That's a Cat Bailey story. Yeah, like I played uh, Breath of the Wild at E3 2016, I think. And I was just like, I don't know about this. Like, it's I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> I mean, Breath of the Wild has a really brilliant, brilliant tutorial in the way of the Great yeah, Plateau. It does. It's just, it's just fantastic. Interactive. Just don't pay attention to me. <laughs> Nobody listen to Cat anymore. Don't listen to Cat anymore. Actually, no. Don't go away. Come back. Come back. <laughs> Come back. We need your money. I have good opinions sometimes. You do. Well, when Breath of the Wild came out and everybody started playing it, it just clicked immediately and everybody was like, whoa, this is not just a good Zelda game. This is an all-time great game right here. And that has held up. Like, you see people who are doing the contrarian, oh, Breath of the Wild's actually not that good. And it's like, okay, go away, you. <laughs> this, this is a genre-defining kind of game right here. 
everybody wants to be Breath of the Wild from the art style to the way that you navigate the world. Oh, absolutely. Basically, Breath of the Wild, uh, they say outright, takes what Skyrim did and they really add that Nintendo sort of zing to it. And it's such a clean, open world full. It, it flows, like even the small details, like when you ride a horse and you notice how ridiculously long it's ma- a horse's mane is, but it's just the way it kind of bounces in the wind is so satisfying to watch. And it's just full of these little these, these little tributes and Easter eggs. Like I still think that the, the Iwata tribute in that game is just heartbreaking. I, I, I absolutely love it. The map was so huge. It just... <laughs> You found a, 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 you just kept uncovering more and more of it. The, the the next tower to climb was always just over there. Yeah, there was always something on the horizon or something underneath. Like I remember finding quite by accident, like apparently there's a big trench running through Hyrule and you could climb to the bottom of it. And down there, there's like, just like enemy camps. And I was actually had the the amiibo wolf link with me so he was kind of fighting alongside me and i was riding my horse and it, it was just a really cool moment for an adventure game it's interesting that you compared it to skyrim because i think that's shorthand for a lot of open world games but i don't see a huge number of comparisons there because it's in skyrim i was kind of making my own story i think i always mm-hmm. thought that was the appeal of that particular game as i as i was saying to some friends about starfield the other night in starfield i will go into space and i will settle down on my spaceship and I will marry my space vampire girlfriend, and it will be great. <laughs> there better be space vampire werewolves, or I'm not playing this game. Breath of the Wild is like Horizon Zero Dawn or an Ubisoft open world game, but good, where it there's always it has a clear sense of exploration. It's always driving you forward, but it gives you incredible agency. But there isn't actually a lot of role playing. There aren't a ton of characters to actually interact with. It's you on the open road for the most part. Yeah, it is definitely more store like uh, hero oriented. It is not you so much as it's Link, and so you're right. You do have that different sort of flavor of adventure. But uh, structure wise, the team definitely did go to Skyrim and looked at what they did. Uh, and it actually, this came up again. Uh, Breath of the Wild 2's team is apparently looking at Red Dead Redemption Two. So I think that's extremely interesting that RDR Two is going to play a factor in how Breath of the Wild Two is structured and. Um, Actually, Mike Williams did a meme, of course, where he put a, a mustache and a, a top hat or a, sorry, a, a cowboy hat on a Zelda and like uh, said something about like Tahiti and just like RDR2 memes. And I was like, have some goddess damn faith. Like <laughs> the only two things I remember about RDR2, a game that I really enjoyed. Have some goddamn faith, Arthur. I love RDR2 so much. If you go back to our console RPG quest with the PlayStation Vita, we mentioned the Nintendo Switch a fair amount in that particular episode. And it really feels like the Nintendo Switch is the final evolution of the Vita. The final form. <laughs> this is even my final form. Although it's not because the pros coming out who knows when. The Vita would definitely felt like kind of a, not a stopgap, but a middle child that never got the recognition it deserves. And hey, I know what that feeling is like. Just kidding. My my parents were always very good to me, like giving me attention. <laughs> but being a, a you know kind of a middle child, only girl in my family, I know what it's like to just be a little bit like on the outs. And the Vita was certainly on the outs, and it tell it, it's very telling that a lot of the games that were on the Vita did make their way onto the Switch, uh, particularly a lot of of RPGs. I well, in that Vita episode, we talked about like two things that kind of held the Vita back. I mean, three things. One was the memory. 
So it had the proprietary memory. The Switch has just regular SD memory cards. Uh, the Vita wasn't able to be plugged into a television until the PlayStation TV version came out. The Switch could be plugged into a TV right away. That was part of the gimmick. And a very good gimmick, I might it add. Is. Yeah, excellent. And the Vita did not really embrace indie games until it was much, much too late. Whereas the Nintendo Switch, Vita indie games were a big part of the Switch from the start. Uh, it had Stardew Valley. And I would argue that Stardew Valley and Mario Kart 8 did as much for the Switch as Breath of the Wild. Oh, absolutely. Uh Stardew Valley had basically a kind of a second coming because of the Switch, because it, it was such an example of how perfect that format is for a game like that, which is a little slower paced, a little you know less heavy on the resources, but no less incredible for it. Like such a, a cozy game that really gave us a sense of accomplishment and to really kind of parrot the rather grim opinions at the time gave us all the illusion of being able to own a home and land. And I think having indie games did so much to counter the usual Nintendo gap. Because once again, a lot of people are going Nintendo Switch. I don't know. Nintendo's coming off a really bad generation with the Wii U. A lot of third-party developers were super gun-shy. Some ways, still gun-shy. Like EA doesn't really put games on the Switch. Mm -hmm. They kind of sort of do now a little bit. <laughs> but So the potential was there for these giant hardware gaps with the Nintendo Switch, or software gaps, sorry. But the indie games really filled in the gaps. And so many of the best games on the Switch, uh, from Hollow Knight to Stardew Valley to Shovel Knight, are indie games. And it, the Switch didn't need to be the most powerful game system on the block. It just needed to be powerful enough. And these games like Hollow Knight look just freaking spectacular on it. And I think that's what makes the Switch such an excellent RPG machine is because RPGs, most of them are not extremely resource intensive, especially uh, these games that are coming out that are revisions of old games that maybe people haven't played before. Uh, for example, the Final Fantasy revised line, like this is a lot of people's first chance at playing Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, not 11. And the switch handles these games very well while still including those kind of upreds graphics the the cool features that make it easier to play and you you can play them handheld and who doesn't want to just kind of sit on the couch and play final fantasy with you know their own little screen versus having to kind of broadcast your shame to the whole world being able to bring your switch on a plane is great <laughs> Yeah, the earliest kind of uh, commercials for Switch would demonstrate like, hey, you can you can play this on the plane. And I'm sure children now are like, what's a plane? I thought it was interesting that the Nintendo Switch kind of finally put to, get, to lie the notion that mobile games were here to fully replace handheld console games and that kind of thing. Like the Switch came in and said, nah, handheld games are alive and well. Yeah. I am really, really glad it did that because it's, uh, yes, mobile gaming is obviously the wave of the future, and that's fine. That's great. Wave of the future. Wave of the future. But at least now they're not restricted to phones. You have these big, beautiful screens with implemented controllers, and you don't have to buy a separate Bluetooth controller. You don't have to use a clumsy rig or whatever. This is just all proprietary, uh, one unit. It's all good. You got your Nintendo franchises on there. You're good. The Switch is good. I think the Switch exemplifies this feeling that we live in a post-graphics world. So mm -hmm. many of the most popular games now are hardly 
the best looking, as it were. They just have really, really good graphics. What was the best game of last year? It, I would argue it was Hades. Hades is gorgeous, don't get me wrong, but it's a, it's a certain style that it uses mm-hmm. that is not at all like going to tax the Switch. Like That game ran like butter. And the year before that, I would argue that it was probably Goose Game was one of the best games to come out that year. Yeah, and I mean, if you want an all-time great, and Nintendo was very smart for snatching this up right at the start, it was Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids don't care how games look anymore, which is great. But uh, I think one of the biggest, biggest uh, mistakes Nintendo made with the Wii U was ignoring Minecraft for so long. Like, Nintendo should have jumped on that immediately. And that's the difference between the Vita and the Switch, I think, is the Vita was like, no, no, it's a PS3 on the go. And the Switch was like, "Eh, we can play Stardew Valley, whatever. Exactly. Like, it was not there to demonstrate how powerful it was. It's just like, I mean, hell, look, one of its first showcase games was Skyrim. By that point, you could play Skyrim on your your toothbrush practically, but... (laughs) having it as a handheld uh, game that you could take on the plane with you, like that just seemed so perfect at the time. And heck, there are some really good looking games on the Nintendo Switch. I mean, Mario Kart 8 found its final expression on the Switch, and that's still a really pretty game just because of all of the art style. And the sales on Mario Kart 8, by the way, are insane. It still has like a one-to-one attach rate or something like that. Mario Kart will not slow down if you excuse the pun. Gotta go fast. Gotta go fast. And the fact that Nintendo doesn't release more DLC for that, I'll I'll never understand Nintendo's ways. That is really weird that they aren't supporting it more, right? Yeah, it's like, hey, here's some, uh, what was it, Mario Tennis kept getting DLC? Who wanted Mario Tennis DLC? (laughs) I think their theory is that it's selling really well, so why bother? Why bother indeed, I guess. That's really unfortunate. Another game that looks super good on the Nintendo Switch is Monster Hunter Rise, a game that I was kind of bagging on its graphics when I first looked at them. I was like, uh, well, I prefer the Iceborne look and everything. But now I'm just like, dang, Monster Hunter Rise looks incredible on the Nintendo Switch. It's really impressive. I think seeing Monster Hunter Stories 2, uh, the, tra- the trailers for that as well, kind of cemented the fact that uh, it goes back to what I said earlier about certain studios really putting the effort into making their Switch games look good. And Capcom... I think has really nailed what it takes to make a Switch game look good. Again, not the fanciest sort of thing. You're not going to get anywhere near Iceborne graphics, but they're not trying, and that's the point. They have their own idea for the Switch, okay? Maybe it's not the most realistic-looking thing, but it moves really, really well, and that's what counts when you're playing Monster Hunter. On the flip side, we have Pokemon Sword and Shield with Treegate. Oh, good old Treegate. Oh, will we ever forget Treegate? We will, we not will never forget, forget the frickin' tree. Yeah, Sword and Shield did have that rough start, but I think that the DLC proved that Game Freak is really getting the hang of the hardware, and I really think that Legend uh, will look like a pretty good game. I thought Pokemon Sword and Shield looked really good, honestly. Honestly, I think it looked fantastic outside of maybe the... People were ragging on the open world part, which did look a little bit flat, which did look a little bit primitive at times, but the towns and stuff... The animations that went into the the trainers and the and the Pokemon, I think those were all fantastic, and it's really a shame people overlooked them because of Treegate. And of course, Xenoblade Chronicles Two comes out at the end of 2017, caps off just an incredible start for Nintendo. They just explode out of the gate with Breath of the Wild, Mario Odyssey, Splatoon Two, Arms, and then you have Xenoblade Chronicles Two to finish off the year. I mean, we don't get many years like 2017 from Nintendo. They come once once a generation, I would say. <laughs> Maybe never. Like, getting a Mario and a Zelda at the same time was just wild. 
that was wild. I mean, even thinking back to the original Nintendo, like that did not happen to getting a Mario and a Zelda at the same time. We never got anything like that on the Wii U. (laughs) What did the Wii U ever get? They got got Wind Waker HD, right? And uh, did it get a proper Mario? It got Mario 3D World. Yeah, and I think that's maybe what that's what Nintendo learned with the Switch is even though 3D World is really an excellent platformer, there's no wow factor to it when you first look at it. It doesn't look like it, it is an HD game, of course, but it wasn't until Mario 3D World when you really realized, wow, Nintendo has really gotten the hang of HD and it lo- every, this game looks fantastic. I mean, I guess Breath of the Wild technically came out on Wii U and it ran just fine. <laughs> yeah, but that was like a really, really late in the generation sort of thing. It was, yes. But circling back to Xenoblade Chronicles 2, I know that you're a big fan of it. (laughs) Uh, One of the reasons that I bring it up is that it kind of exemplified an early problem with the hardware. So graphics weren't necessarily a problem, except for the fact that a lot of games run really poorly or look really bad in handheld mode. And Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was one of them. They did eventually, Monolith Soft did go back and fix a lot of the problems. And I actually, when I interviewed the creators of the, and the producer of Xenoblade Chronicles 2, they talked to me about how they took a lot of lessons from the development of Chronicles 2 and implemented them into the DLC, which is the Golden Country, and runs and looks a lot better than the original. So they got the hang of things. And I mean, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is an extremely ambitious game. Like, you go everywhere in that game. Like, above the clouds, below the clouds, in the clouds, the monsters are... are you, you ride on the back of the of the, these continents. So they had a vision that they had to stuff into this this game. And so, yeah, they, there were moments of jank for sure, but eventually they really smoothed things out a bit. And now they're helping with uh, Breath of the Wild 2, so hooray. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was a pretty good looking game. I think the best thing about it was its battle system. I just didn't like its uh, characters particularly. I loved it. Uh, I just loved the whole thing from start to finish. First of all, it has one of the greatest soundtracks of any RPG ever. Like just the choir segments that they have for where they actually got that Irish choir to come in and, and sing those. Oh man, it's just like, it gives me the shivers every time. And then the following summer in 2018, it was the summer of Octopath Traveler, a game that did shockingly well. I remember it did a lot of traffic for us over at US Gamer. It sure did. That was that made you happy. Uh, sure did. Uh, I seem to recall <laughs> that you ranked the characters or something like that, and that article did super duper well for us. The weirdest thing about that is someone, uh, I got a message from my sister-in-law's uh, brother, and he's like, yeah, I was looking at this article about ranking the characters from Octopath. Uh, apparently you wrote this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's one of mine. Yeah, I get so, that sometimes where they'll be like, yeah, I was just reading through an article and I was like, wow, it sounds a lot like Cat. Oh, it is Cat. <laughs> oh, it is you. There have been times where I've looked back at an article and been like, haha, whoever wrote this must have been high. Oh, shit, it was me. <laughs> oh, no. Did that actually happen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't write well high because I write the stupidest things when I'm high, but I just sometimes I, I write like an idiot and I, I, I sound stupid and I look back and I'm like, oh, crap, I wrote that. <laughs> whoever wrote this is stupid. Oh, dear. The funny thing about the Nintendo Switch is that after 2017, the cadence of software releases slowed down dramatically, but it never felt like the Switch was necessarily wanting for big games, right? It felt like there would always be some big Switch game to play the beginning of every single year, and you would just play it to death until the end of the year, like Animal Crossing, for example. 
Yeah, the Switch, when it did have moments of slowness, it was really buoyed by the indie market. I was actually just replaying SteamWorld Dig 2, and man, that's just an incredible indie game right there. And it had so many games like that that were just uh, the most amazing output that you can imagine from indie developers. So Nintendo owes a real big debt to indies. And this year, it was Monster Hunter Rise that started out the year, and I'm still playing that. Yeah, I'm still playing that too. Although, like I said uh, earlier, I'm kind of eager to move on to stories too because I feel bad when I kill monsters. I just do. I can't help it. Summer of 2019, we got Fire Emblem Three Houses, which kind of completed the comeback of Fire Emblem. So Fire Emblem Awakening began the comeback of Fire Emblem after it had really hit its nadir and intelligent systems realized, hey, everybody wants all of the characters in this game to kiss. Let's make <laughs> them kiss. They did. And that continued on through the 3DS uh, follow-ups that I did not play. But I did play Three Houses. and Wait, you didn't play Fates? I didn't play Fates, no. Just never got around to it. Oh, you should at least play uh, Fire Emblem Birthright. I should, but it's one of those things where like, eh, I'll, I'll eventually get to it. But... The the thing that blew my mind with I'll always love Three Houses just for having a main character with my surname. That's just like I I just hit the ceiling when I read that. Aww. And I mean my maiden name actually, not my surname. I remember reviewing Fire Emblem Three Houses while I was in France to see the Women's World Cup. I remember you uh, playing it when when you were there, and I was actually I wrote this article that gained quite a bit of traction where I noticed that the like every chapter was preceded by a little sort of uh, mural. And mm. I realized the murals linked together and told a story. And I kind of just uh, wrote out that story. And people really liked that article. That was a great article, Nadia. I really appreciated that one. Yeah. I just remember sitting in an apartment in France when it was just boiling. It was like 100 degrees. <laughs> oh, no. My Switch. Playing Fire Emblem Three Houses when I should be well, should have been exploring uh, Lyon. But it was a good time. Uh, I mean, you're exploring Fire Emblem. It's, it's practically yeah. the same thing, I think. But Fire Emblem Three Houses, uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses exemplifies the Switch effect, which is all of these games that had been kind of flying under the radar arrive on Nintendo Switch and gain this mass audience, like are put in front of a mass audience that had never really seen them before when they were on the 3DS or the Wii U. And I think Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem both exemplify that. It's just like a really good revival for a lot of Nintendo franchises. Well, Nadia, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Super Robot Wars because I'm on my quest to catalog every single Super Robot Wars that came oh, there's out. Oh, there's a new one coming out, isn't there? Yeah, Super Robot 30th Anniversary. We didn't talk about it in the news. Oh, no. Uh, we're very sorry, but I saw you and Mike nerding out about that on Twitter. We don't know much about it, except that it will have Combattler V, it'll have Mazinger, it will have um, some Gundam. <laughs> oh, yeah, some Gundam. They'll throw a Gundam in there somewhere. It looks like it'll have Code Geass, if I recall correctly. So, um, Oh, Pierce the Heavens or whatever. Yeah, but it seems like it'll be mainly leaning on kind of classic robot series. At least I hope so. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you're looking forward to it, I'm sure. It looks kind of cool. Mm -hmm. But uh, up in, for quite a while, Super Robot Wars was on the PSP. And then it moved over to the PlayStation Vita, like a combination of PlayStation Vita and PlayStation 3. And then it started coming out on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, Super Robot Wars V, X, and T have all come on there. I've said before that these are amazing ways to get into the series because 
Super Robot Wars TX and V all have English text, uh, English localization, and you know they're quite easy to get. The Switch is region free, thank God. Yeah, and they all look gorgeous on the Switch's screen. So it really comes down to which one do you care about? Do you like Gundam Wing? Do you want more? Uh, do you want Yamato? Do you want uh, Evangelion? Pick one. Pick the, sh- the shows <laughs> that you want the most and then buy that Super Robot Wars. That's a pretty good uh, sales pitch right there. Which giant robot do you like? There it is over there. Go play with it. <laughs> go, go make them bang bang them together. <laughs> make them have laser noises. Shoosh, shoosh. Pew, That's pew. Super Robot Wars. Pew, pew. I only had one big problem with Super Robot Wars on Switch, Nadia. Mm-hmm. My problem with Super Robot Wars on Switch was that it didn't allow me to upload my own custom soundtracks. Oh, that sucks. That sucks real bad. That's no good. And uh, the the, cus- the soundtracks in the game are considerably worse than the ones that I would be able to upload. They have kind of a synthy feel to them rather mm. than the sometimes orchestral soundtracks. There's actually an extended song version that you can buy like for $120, but then you would, can only play it in Japanese. Oh my God, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it is an insane amount of money because they're milking nerds like me for all their money. Uh, I'm sure it's an effective tactic, but do you know if the new one can let you upload uh, your, your soundtrack? Doubtful. That was very much a Vita kind of thing. Uh, back when music right, I don't know, there was a point where people realized they could not they could make money on game music and they really kind of went into that. Sigh, alas. Sigh. Something that's notable about Super Robot V. T and X, and also their cousins, SD Gundam G Generation, is that they are ports. And that is something that kind of has defined the legacy of Nintendo Switch. God knows we've sat here and port begged all the dang time on this podcast. (laughs) We port begged all the live long day, and there are a lot of ports on the Switch. But to its credit, it is just so well suited for ports especially of rpgs like uh i've been kind of tooling around with trails of cold steel on the switch and it's just so perfectly suited even though i played it on the playstation 4 i I just feel like it's so much more comforting on the switch and that that private screen all those orphaned series that were on the vita and the wii u they were able to come home they were able to find a home on the switch valkyra chronicles came back on the switch with the was it four we got Yes. Yeah, Valkyrie Chronicles 4. That was a great game. I love that game very much. I'd love to see 5, and hopefully they don't like make it a school thing or something again. It'll be a school thing. Uh, they can have it. I don't want a freaking school thing. I really enjoyed Valkyrie Chronicles 1. It was great. 1 was great. 4 was great. Everything in between is just kind of like, especially that thing they put on the Vita. That was terrible. Dragon Quest 11S, which you wrote as Dragon Warrior 11S for some reason. <laughs> Why did I do that? That's pretty great. I haven't written I haven't written Warrior in a long time. Jeez. I must be tired too. Great example of a port that was significantly better than the launch version. Yeah, and actually it's interesting how S has come out to other consoles, but they had to have those I hate to say downgraded Switch graphics. They are downgraded, but not in really a a noticeable way. And I think it's still worth the uh, the fact that you're getting a lot of extra content, a game that still runs fantastically well, and you can marry Silvando. You can marry Silvando. You can get married, like you can get married in the first game to your childhood friend, but in 
uh, 11S, you have the option to get married to uh, any of your party members. And yeah, you can marry Savando. Gay. It's extremely gay, but he has the best like sort of marriage proposal video because of course he does. Also, spoiler alert. <laughs> I think it's known by now that you can marry. Why would you not want to marry Savando? I mean, exactly. I would totally marry Silvando. I would have. Best character. Very much so. There are a lot of high quality ports that kind of made their way over. They brought a lot. They were able to make a lot of hay by bringing PS3, Xbox 360 generation games from Bayonetta, Nino Kuni, that kind of thing over to Nintendo Switch, Tales of Vesperia. And they all hold up perfectly well because the gap between maybe the Xbox 360 generation and the current generation has kind of narrowed a lot. Yeah, and these are all games that maybe you missed the first time around, and uh, here they are again on the Switch. Most of them are really good ports. Definitely worth a, definitely worth your time. I actually have Nino Kuni. I got to finish it, but uh, I missed that because I was on a PlayStation 3, and I did not have a PlayStation 3. A lot of people didn't have a PlayStation 3 in the West. And then last year, Hades came on to the Nintendo Switch. That was technically a port, but the first console release was on Nintendo Switch, and it was just awesome. Oh, Hades, by far my game of 2020, except maybe 13 Sentinels etches out just a little bit. But Oh, that yeah. would be a great Switch game. See, port begging. I will port beg Vanillaware's stuff until the end of the world, but I really think Sony has some kind of stranglehold on it because I want to see Odin Sphere, I want to see Dragon's Crown, I want to see 13 Sentinels, I want to see all that on the Switch, and we just don't get anything at all, and it's really a shame, but you can't have it all, I suppose. And the Nintendo Switch is going strong still heading into 2022 as we await Breath of the Wild 2. Who knows? Maybe we'll get Xenoblade Chronicles 3. And there are lots more RPGs where that came from. We just got Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne on the Nintendo Switch. Tons of Final Fantasy games came out on the Nintendo Switch. I think maybe the biggest criticism that you can have outside of the Joy-Cons drift is that the Nintendo Switch Online uh, service isn't great. Yeah, I think Nintendo finally did some kind of upgrade uh, from like some 18-year-old technology they were using online. And I don't know how much, better thing, how much better things are now because I don't play a lot of online games. But if anyone wants to kind of jab about that on the, in the comments or in, on the Discord or wherever, by all means, let me know because I'd love to hear about it. I love Nintendo Switch Online and I love being able to play weird games like Tetris 99 or... For some reason, they released a limited-time Mario game. That was a lot of fun. Nintendo, don't do that. Stop with the limited-time stuff. I know that it works, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it's great. Please stop. Yeah, no, I, I have no idea why they did that with Mario 99 in particular, or Mario 35, whatever they called it. That was a really great, unique take on Battle Royale, and is gone, and there's no reason for it to be gone. People were still playing the hell out of it. They were still having Speed a great time. Speedrunners loved it. Oh, speedrunners adored it, and I can see why. It, it was just, like, brutally fun. I'm really sad it's gone. And I am one of the only people in the universe who really actively plays NES Online and the Super NES Online. I play that. I play that once in a while. I go back and I play, like, some of the old RPGs. Like, you'll find Breath of the Wild. Sorry. You'll find Breath of Fire there. you find Breath of Fire 2 there. Uh, I know Nintendo is kind of infamous for not releasing... Well, every time they they come out with like Switch game, anytime they put they come out with new games, everyone complains about like you know this isn't Earthbound, this isn't whatever. But they always release the weirdest stuff that maybe we missed the first time around, and I appreciate that. I just wish that they released more more often. Look, all I know is that I'm happy to have easy access to Puyo Puyo and Magical Drop 
anytime I want. I do love Puyo Puyo. I haven't played Magical Drop. I need to remedy that. Oh, yeah. It's out on Super Nintendo Switch right now. There you go. I have to say this, it's an extremely convenient service. I like it very much. I just wish it had more. And I I am one of the only people. And believe it or not, I actually use the online multiplayer with it. Oh, so it's how does that work? Is it good or is it like chonky? It's fine, actually. Mm-hmm. Like I play Puyo Puyo with my friend in Los Angeles. Oh, that's like, pretty cool. All, all she does is we're like friends on Switch. And I start a sur- I start a lobby basically. She jumps in, and I can just move right over to Puyo Puyo and play two player, and it's fine. See, I, that's really cool. Although I'm really bad at Puyo Puyo, so I'm I'm not really brave enough to try multiplayer online. The input lag is such that you really can't play like a Mario game or something that's really precision oriented. But a puzzle game is fine. Yeah, that would be perfect. Absolutely. All right, Nadia, Nintendo Switch. What's the legacy? of the past four years, in your opinion? Well, it saved Nintendo's ass. I'll say that much. (laughs) I don't think it saved Nintendo's ass. They had a huge... uh, One way or another, they were still making money. They had a huge amount of money stored up. It wasn't like they were going to go bankrupt because of the Switch. That's one thing you can say about Nintendo. For all they say, like, oh, we were in trouble, they probably weren't in too much trouble because they have a... They are probably one of the only companies that don't operate in the red. They're always, always, always in the black. And that's a pretty good business strategy to have nintendo is changing we are seeing the beginnings of a new nintendo and we will see how that works out um sotoro iwata um of course died in 2015 rest in peace and we have a new ceo and he has a lot of ambitious visions of amusement parks and transmedia properties Mario Pixar style movies, that kind of thing. And that may indeed be a a good future for Nintendo. And of course, a lot of the veterans who have shaped Nintendo for 30, 40 years are starting to get, you know, old up there and are starting to probably be thinking about retirement. I mean, Miyamoto is getting quite old. Eiji Aonuma is getting quite old. Sakamoto, uh, who did Metroid, he... Uh, he's looking like he's getting a little bit up there in age as well. So a new generation will be coming in and defining what Nintendo looks like. So we're seeing quite a big shift with Nintendo Switch, I think, uh, kind of happening under the surface. We are. And I think uh, Nintendo has stated at points that they have been preparing for that future because Miyamoto has said in the past that he's focusing a lot less on development and no and more on mentoring. And I doubt he's the only one who's kind of making that switch to uh, a more sort of, sort of observant role where youngsters can come to him and say, hey, uh, I have a question for you. How can you help me with this? And I mean, Nintendo's output has been as fantastic as ever. So obviously they're doing something right in that regard. What do you think is its best RPG? Uh... I know you're going to say it's not an RPG, but I still think Breath of the Wild is the best one. <laughs> I really love Xenoblade Chronicles too. I don't care. Screw the really. Heroes. Oh, I love I love that stupid game so much. I think that if you put a gun to my head, I would say Fire Emblem Three Houses is the best original RPG, and Dragon Quest Eleven S is probably its best port. Yeah, like it's uh, if you're talking about ports, Dragon Quest Eleven S is definitely up there, and uh, yeah. A lot of people would say Octopath Traveler was a kind of a defining one. It ultimately wasn't, you know, amazing. I wouldn't put it in the Pantheon, but it's proven really influential. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely influential. I loved it myself, but yeah, you're right. I wouldn't really put it in the Pantheon. It had 
it was a little too um, fragmented for that, I think. But that's part of the reason I'm looking so forward to Dragon Quest 3 HD 2D, because that's a very unified quest within that art style. And I want to see how that works out. I'll just say that with the, when it comes to the Nintendo Switch, I would be happy with just that console. I love the Nintendo Switch. It's one of my all-time favorite consoles. And if you showed me a Nintendo Switch in 1999 or whatever and said, look at this amazing console. It's gorgeous. It has all of these games on it. Oh, and by the way, you can play all of your favorite NES and Super NES games on it. Like, my mind would have been totally blown. Like, I would yeah. have considered it the ultimate freaking console. Handheld and docked? Oh, my God. It's my, <laughs> it's my dream console, Nadia. My head would have exploded. So far, it is certainly one of my favorite consoles of all time, and it still has a long way to go, even though we know that it's come, it's getting on an age and it could use a bit of a technical upgrade, and we know the Switch Pro is coming sometime. It's not. It doesn't feel like it's fading away. It it certainly feels like it's still going strong. Yeah, it's getting a little long in the tooth, but it's not like the Wii U, which became instantly dated the second that the PS4 and the uh, the PS4 and the Xbox One came out. And it's not like the Wii, which looked horrible after a couple of years because of the SD graphics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, like I said, in some ways we live in a post graphics era where. Yeah, you can't put Last of Us 2 on the Nintendo Switch, <laughs> but you can put whatever hot new indie is out on there. You can put freaking Fortnite on there and you know, people will love it. It'll do yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. And that's the Switch's strength right there. Not so much as graphics, not so much as processing power, just people coming out with games that work for the format. And something like Fortnite, of course, would work extremely well with a handheld format. So what do you think of the Nintendo Switch? Do you have any strong opinions? Are there any RPGs that you missed? Send me an email at cat at bluguppod.com. Send me a DM on Twitter at Twitter at the underscore catbot. Or leave a comment on our Patreon, patreon.com slash bluguppod. And that is a wrap for the console RPG quest. Woo. We've explored pretty much every single console to this point. Yes, we even talked about the Atari Jaguar and the Neo Geo and all of that. Go back through the archives. Hopefully we can collate all of that into, you know, a little bit of a series. We're working on a website right now. We're not entirely yes. done with the console RPG quest. I kind of want to do a wrap-up episode of some sort. I, I'm thinking about ra- ranking the consoles, Nadia. Oh, God. For their RPG libraries. Why? Because <laughs> I like ranking things. I work for IGN now. I hate numbers, but okay. Let's rank. Rank all of the things. No. God help me. One way or another, we'll do a wrap up. And then after that, I think that it's time to move on to the PC, Nadia. Oh boy. Now that's your jurisdiction. It is absolutely my jurisdiction. We're going to get some uh, special guests to be able to do those episodes. So they will be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's continue on to the epic boss battle of the week of the blood God. Don't go away. Okay, it's time for the epic boss battle of the week of the Blood God, this series in which we explore the greatest boss battles in RPG history. Nadia, what do you got for me this week? This week, I will tell you about, from Xenoblade Chronicles 2, 
Cloud C. King Ken, which is a very stupid, stupid name for a very terrifying boss. This will be a short discussion because I've never beaten this guy. He's a super boss from Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and uh, you have to be, you should be like well over like level 100 to even consider taking him on. He is a giant squid, a very Cthulhu looking thing, and that is appropriate because um, he, his arrival is quite scary. Now here, here's an idea of what happened. Basically, I was running around the uh, Genbu continent, which is the, the, the turtle-shaped continent that floats within the Cloud Sea. And this is a very snowy area, very, like, not nicely snowy, very savagely snowy, cold, uh, you will die if you are out here for too long sort of world, because it's, uh, Genbu is basically a dying continent, his ether is being siphoned away. And I was just kind of running around, minding my own business, la la la, snowstorm at the bottom of the continent, and all of a sudden the weather turns foggy, and I'm like, okay, this is a, a little unsettling, but the weather changes in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, no big deal. And then this big squid Cthulhu thing comes out of the fog, and <laughs> just immediately engages my party, which at this point is at level 60 or something, and this, this boss is at level 50 billion. And what makes it funny is that as soon as it, as soon as an enemy engages you, your your party starts chattering and, and exchanging like those really happy anime quips. So Rex is like, "We'll beat him with the power of friendship," and of course, I was dead in one hit. So <laughs> I never beat Cloud Sea King Ken. I'm sure I know a lot of people have. I'm sure a lot of people in the comments will say will give their own experiences. Get I just good. <laughs> Get good, bro get good meaning like yeah you should be like three times the level you actually are but he i just really appreciated the the arrival of this monster and how kind of frightening it was especially since i loved the, the sort of dark eternal winter that genbu goes through in the first place it's a very as i said a very savage sort of continent where it's very difficult to survive and to top it all off here's cthulhu have fun so he's basically an optional boss He's an optional boss. He's a super boss. Because Xenoblade Chronicles 2 has a few super bosses. So he is the uh, emerald or ruby weapon of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Exactly. Except more uh, eldritch horror-like. <laughs> With more intensity. With more tentacles. And that is the epic boss battle of the week of the Blood God. If you have an epic boss battle of the week of the Blood God to submit to Axe of the Blood God, send me an email, cat at bloodgodpod.com. And that is it. For this week's episode of Acts of the Blood God, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, once again, go leave us a positive comment over on uh, the podcatcher of your choice. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore Kappa. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. And of course, our podcast is the Blood God Pod over on Twitter. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod with tons of exclusive content for all of our listeners. And Nadia, I'm actually looking into uh, having a subscription, uh, like having some of that content over as a subscription kind of item um, over on Apple Podcasts because now you can do subscriptions or something like that. That's cool. Uh, I'm really thankful that people are, are like engaging with us and helping to support us. And please continue. We, we enjoy living. Yeah, and final reminder, if you're at the $10 level or above, you can go and nominate a game for our Pantheon discussing right now just go over to the pan the patreon site patreon.com slash and you can find the post with all of the instructions on it 
And uh, I would recommend throwing in your lot with one of the games that has already been nominated so you can have a chance. But of course, if you throw in the right game, who knows? Maybe people will be like, ah, I want that game. So we'll see. <laughs> you might surprise everyone. But voting ends on Tuesday, and then we will have the vote for the top four vote getters. Uh, it's totally going to be 13 Sentinels, which isn't even an RPG, but I'll allow it. Please do allow it. It's such a great game. All right. That's it for us this week. Thanks for listening. And until next time, happy adventuring. Uh, a great line. <laughs> oh no, cat died. <laughs> <laughs>